Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the great time we've had gathered here, um, just singing, uh, rejoicing in your goodness and uh, praising you with our voices. We thank you that we can come now and just uh, dig into your word and we pray that uh, as we do so you would speak to us through it, that you would um, uh, not just inform our minds but uh, Lord change us uh, right at our heart's depth, that we would uh, come to see um, the wonder of who you are and the glory of Christ and may we rejoice in that uh, truth. And so we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 3, verses 22 to the end of the chapter. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John was also baptising at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend, who attends, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must, be some, he must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what is been what has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever, he has, whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God, gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Our great God and Heavenly Father, uh, please, for each of us, give us a fresh glimpse of the glory of Jesus this morning. Father, uh, may we be able to rejoice in his increase and be at peace in our decrease. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you will teach us all um, who Jesus is and how we might thankfully and joyfully live in response. We pray that for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, it's, um, it's not hard to see the issue that comes out in this story. Is it this story about John the Baptist? Not sort of that uh, difficult to dig beneath the surface and pull out the issue that this story gets at. Uh, jealousy, rivalry, different factions jockeying for influence and position. Um, it's not surprising Uh, And it's not surprising or hard to sort of pick out because uh, on one level it's so common, right? Uh, uh, I've I've put Charlie Brown comics up a few times so you sort of know know that he's one of my favourite. And I think I've figured out why. You you can talk to me about afterwards why I think Charlie Brown's so profound. But this is the very first Charlie Brown comic ever published in 1950. And it gets to something of this ugly reality, I think, how we can kind of appear one way but deeper down we have these dark feelings of jealousy or rivalry, you see, 
uh, Charlie Brown walking along the street and then there's these two little kids sitting down. Well, here comes old Charlie Brown. Yes, good old Charlie Brown. Yes, sir, good old Charlie Brown. How I hate him. <laughs> After Charlie Brown's out of the way. Uh, anyway, it sort of gets to something of what's going on. It, it, it just, uh, it's just what happens, isn't it, when you get people together, right? So when you get different individuals, each with, each with our own set of assumptions and desires and expectations, each with our own story, our own history, uh, our own hurts, um, our own expectations, our own desire to control or influence, uh, that kind of can get threatened by another self. And so you, when you get all these selves together, well, it's not hard to sort of see what's going on here, is it, we, with John the Baptist? Um, something like that same sort of uh, attitude or, or dynamic going on in Charlie Brown, this sort of, on one level... You know, presenting something, but on another level, there's something darker going on in, in your hearts. It happens on a big scale, doesn't it? I mean, uh, we, everyone is familiar with this, how it plays out, uh, particularly in the world of politics. Australians are all too familiar with it uh, since uh, uh, sort of did a bit of counting. Uh, and since, and you, you will be aware, that since 2007, we've had five changes of Prime Minister. Uh, and you, you hear stories, don't you? I mean, no, we, don't, we, we haven't witnessed it ourselves. We're not, you know, really in there. But you hear the stories of all the behind-the-scenes vote counting and sort of jockeying for position. And, and we know it's ugly, don't we? We know it's ugly. Um, but it just keeps happening. Uh, it just keeps happening and happening, doesn't it? It happens on a big scale. It happens close to home. It happens... In families, it happens in workplaces, uh, it happens in churches. The living congregation, the living church of the living Lord Jesus Christ, it even happens there. And wherever it takes root, no one comes off clean, does it? This sort of uh, rivalry or jealousy. Uh, well, friends, how, how are we to think about this ugly reality that all of us know about, all of us have experienced? And all of us, actually, because we can't, we, as we've seen the last few weeks, because of the, the darkness in our own hearts, uh, all of us contribute to in one way or another. This desire to increase self, you know, to get me bigger, uh, to make my voice louder, to have my expectations met, my way of doing things implemented. How are we to think about all this in the light of the gospel in light of what Jesus has done for us. Well, this passage in John 3 is a stunning breath of selflessness in a world of self-moreness, isn't it? It is a stunning breath of selflessness in a world of self-moreness. It's a passage that opens up uh, not just a new way of um, sort of thinking about rivalry or jealousy, a new way of being human, actually, in the end. A new way of thinking about self, and it all has to do with who Jesus is. Without seeing who Jesus is, friends, this is just a bizarre story that doesn't make any sense, right? John the Baptist, he had everything ahead of him. <laughs> he was stellar, you know, he was, he was the new, new kid on the block, he was, he was on the rise. 
it doesn't make any sense for him to do what he does here. Without seeing who Jesus is, it's just a tragic account of a guy who had huge potential but foolishly sort of let it all go. But when we get Jesus and we see who he is, this bizarre story, all of a sudden, it makes all the sense in the world. And the way John responded to Jesus is the only logical response to who he is. Friends, please have your Bibles open. Uh, If you're able to, it'll really help you to engage with God's Word as it's uh, written for us this morning. There's a bit of an outline in the handout about where we're going. Uh, The passage really falls into two sort of parts. You can see that on the the outline. Uh, Answering two different questions. Who is John? Who is this guy, John the Baptist? And who is Jesus? And they're the two kind of things that we'll, we'll follow through as we go ahead. So it starts off in verse 22, you can see it there. After this, uh, after this meaning after Jesus' great conversation with Nicodemus, we read that last week, um, uh, after that conversation, Jesus and his disciples went out into the countryside, the Judean countryside, and he said, spent some time with them, the people in the countryside that is, uh, and baptised. Now, just as sort of an aside here, we learn We'll read next week, but probably won't touch on that much, but we learn that it's actually Jesus' disciples who are baptising, not Jesus himself. There's a bit of a, um, a detail that you learn later on. But anyway, whatever's the case, Jesus is in the countryside. He's, he's baptising uh, these people out there. And now, John was also baptising at Anon near Salem uh, because there was plenty of water and people were coming to be baptised. This was before John was put in prison. Now, an argument develops between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew, no details given, uh, just some sort of argument over the matter of ceremonial washing. Um, uh, The ceremonial washing, uh, we're not giving any details here about the the sort of um, what the content of their argument was, what they were sort of fighting over. But whatever it is, and it's not really that important, uh, whatever it is, uh, it causes John's disciples to go to him in verse 26. They come to John and they say to him, Rabbi, that man, that man, you get a sense of their attitude at this point, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptising and everyone's going to him. Everyone's going to him. So you have here, friends, uh, who is this? Who is John the Baptist? Well, he has a potential rival, Right? in this, this new guy, Jesus, baptising over the other side of the water. Uh, and you can kind of uh, immediately connect, I think, with this. Um, it's the kind of conversation that we have thousands of times. The, uh, and if you put yourself into you know, the, a, a position, if, if we think about all the changes in Australian politics over the last 10 years, you can imagine all the, the, the anxious whispering about who has more votes, right? The, the backroom sort of conversations uh, about this new kid on the block who's threatening to take the, st- the spotlight. Uh, and do you notice at the end there how they over-exaggerate as well? It's, uh, it's kind of like all the exaggerations we make as a kid. You know, do you remember this? But, you know, but mum, everyone's got... Dot, 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 fill in the boat. For me, it was high-top sneakers. Everyone's got them. Really? Just every... Yes, everyone! When really it's just, you know, your best mate across the classroom who's got them and you just really want them. So I think there's a bit of that going on here. Um, uh, uh, Everyone's going over to Jesus. 
Well, obviously everyone's not because John is still baptising here and these guys haven't gone, but it gives you an indication about well, how they're feeling, right? They're, they're threatened and they're jealous. Um, they want in on what's going on. But notice how John res- responds to this. Ah, oh, friends, this is uh, incredible, isn't it? This next little paragraph from verse 27 John responds in an incredible way. He knows deep down that he is just a receiver. Do you notice that? He says in verse 27, it's kind of a terse reply to these guys. He says, A person cannot receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. See how John thinks about himself. He's just a receiver of a gift, right? God's given him a particular ministry to fulfill. Back in chapter 1, we saw that that ministry was to prepare the way for the Lord, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He's preparing the way for the Messiah, for the one to come, the Lord. John knew he was only ever a receiver. He didn't earn his ministry. He was just given to him and it was coming to an end. He could see that. But friends, if all of life is a gift that we don't deserve, and if John is given this ministry to prepare the way for Jesus, to get, ready for, to get everyone ready for when he comes, then there's no place for rivalry or bitterness or jealousy when Jesus does come, is there? That's his job done. It was only always ever a gift. He's a receiver, John the Baptist. But even more than that, John gets more surprising He gets more surprising from verse 29. You see, he's not just some kind of cold service he performed. Yes, I am the one getting, preparing the way for the Messiah. Uh, It's not some cold... He he likens his relationship to Jesus uh, to that of a best man at a wedding, a guy who's just stoked for his best mate on on his big day, right? You see that in verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I mean, you can picture the scene, right? You can imagine the wedding taking place and it just makes you cringe, doesn't it? The thought of a wedding where the best man takes the limelight, right? He doesn't think he's the best man. He thinks he's the better man, okay? The, the, the guy takes the limelight. Occasionally, you kind of hear stories of weddings gone wrong where this happens. He's usually fueled by alcohol and makes a fool of himself and embarrasses everyone else with his speech. You know, that, that sort of... Uh, no one wants to leave a wedding thinking more about the best man than the bride and groom, do they? I mean, you don't want to go away sort of thinking that way. The attention belongs with them, the bride and groom. It's their celebration. Uh, but you see, you see John's reaction to this. Uh, if, if, he's just, if he's the best man to Jesus coming to claim his bride, his people, uh, he sinks into the background as a best man should do. Uh, and, and that's not a threat to him. He's not threatened by that. It's not something, and also, do you notice this? It's not something he does sort of grudgingly because it's his duty, right? He knows he should, so okay, Jesus is here, I better get out of the way. Do you notice that? Ah, oh, he does it joyfully. 
The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it is now complete. He's saying to his disciples, for you to complain and get anxious about me losing my following totally misses the point. That is exactly what I'm here for. That's my job. And I'm stoked. I'm totally over the moon because the bridegroom is here. I'm just the best man. He is, at the end of the day, a joyful nobody. And that's what you get at verse 30 there. Sort of his summary of his, this response to his disciples coming into him and anxious about his position. He just says, oh, he must increase. I must decrease. He must become greater. I must become less. He's not resigning himself to a kind of reality that he just, you know, he must, you know, I must. He's not saying it with a resigned tone. Uh, Like he knows he's been beat, you know, and he just kind of uh, uh, smiles for the camera all the while while he's inside, he's seething away. That's not the picture here. Jesus must become greater. And whenever, often through John, if you hear that little word must, you sort of prick your ears up because there's something going on there in these kind of um, places where Jesus talks like this and John, other people. This word must is so important. He must increase. Uh, that's not just talking about some sort of uh, random series of events. It's talking about the set purpose and plan of God. He must increase. This is God's good and perfect will. That Jesus increases and I decrease. And the greater Jesus gets, the smaller I get. And I couldn't be more happy about it. That's what John's saying. I couldn't be more happy about it. He is a happy nobody because he knows that Jesus is becoming greater. He doesn't need to put himself forward. He doesn't need to... He's not in competition. Seeing who Jesus is means he can joyfully just retreat into the background and watch his friend marry his bride. All of this, friends, all of that, on the one level he knows who he is, but that's not enough. All of it is because he knows who Jesus is. He's seen some glimpse of who Jesus is. And at this point, in verse 31... It's the same thing as what happened last week. Uh, If you have different versions of the Bible, you might get the inverted commas around this whole section or just part of it. It's it's just because it's not entirely clear whether it's John the Baptist speaking or John the Apostle giving his sort of commentary. It doesn't really matter. As we said last week, it's all the inspired word of God. Um, uh, it, It seems to me that this is John the Apostle now, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle now sort of filling us in, uh, commenting at this point, he wants us to see Jesus like John the Baptist did. He wants us to see Jesus like John the Baptist did. The great somebody. The great somebody. Verse 31. Jesus, John the Apostle, writes, he is the one who comes from above and and is above all. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from above, uh, from heaven, is above all. See that Jesus is the one who comes from above. 
what's going on here? Are you, uh, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, everyone else in this story, uh, they're just people from the earth. You and I, we're just, pe we're just God, people from the earth. John the Baptist spoke as one from the earth. Uh, he didn't have an authority that sort of came from his own power and his own importance. It was, what did we see before? It, he was a receiver. It was a gift given to him. He was just a receiver. But here, in distinction from John the Baptist, from you and me, from everyone else, here is one who comes from above, from heaven. And that makes all the difference for how we respond to him, how we listen to him. He doesn't just come as another guy from the earth. Uh, he's the one from above. And so it may, perhaps this will help us to sort of grapple with this. It's a little bit like um, we, we, we sort of get a hint of this in Victor Harbour around Christmas time. But imagine you're travelling in a massive world city right in peak time in the middle of the city. Everything is chaos. You can't get around anywhere. Uh, you don't know which way to go and you're not sure about where to get from A to B through this chaotic city. Okay, just imagine the scene. Uh, what do you do in that, in that case, right? What do you do? You flick on the radio and you listen to the guy who's up above in the helicopter, right? The guy who can see the whole playing field, the whole city. The guy who was from above. Uh, he can see the whole scene. And, and can you imagine hearing the traffic report from the guy who's in the helicopter? He knows if you go this way, you're going to get um, stuck in traffic for two hours. If you know, he knows if you go just this other way. Now, he can see the whole scene. Uh, you're just stuck down here trying to get through. Uh, and to ignore him, to say, I am free. Uh, uh, I don't need you sticking my no your nose into my life. Let me get on with driving the way I want. You know, I mean, you can see how foolish that is, right? That's just foolishness. He, is the one. he, sees, he sees down from above. He sees it all. Uh, he can see it all at once, and so we listen to the guy in the helicopter who tells us <laughs> which way to go through the traffic jam, right? I mean, you know, of course, it's an imperfect analogy, but I think there's something similar here going on, isn't there? Except Jesus is not just a reporter who sort of goes up. <laughs> he is the one from above. He is the one who sees the biggest picture. He's the one, he's not just a reporter, sort of, he's the one who, he's the architect, he's the designer, he's the builder, you know, he's, he's the one who lovingly created the city and he knows where you, where you need to go, even if you don't, and you listen to him. Uh, not only that, what did we read a few weeks ago? He himself, he is the one and only son who is himself God in chapter one. Uh, this word who comes from the Father, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, and he is the one who has made God known, made the Father known. He is the one from above. And so that leads naturally into what John just says next. Not only is he the one from above, he is the witness, the, the one who gives a testimony. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, verse 32. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. But no one receives, no one accepts his testimony. And that's the same thing as John said last week, if you remember in John 3, that really um, pointed and like stark and binary description of humanity. Uh, well, 
not really binary without Christ, is it? All of humanity, condemned already, who have rejected the Father, and here no one receives his testimony. No one receives his testimony. The whole city is ignoring the guy in the helicopter, right? And it's chaos. Except, of course, it's infinitely worse than that. The whole humanity is ignoring their creator. But just like last week, while this is sort of the general description of humanity, there's this sort of unthinkable, strange, illogical, um, miraculous other option. Do you notice that as he goes on? Verse 32, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, and no one, te- no one accepts his testimony. Verse 33, whoever, whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. Now, what's going on there? It's the same as last week. While all humanity turns away, God does something, God does something miraculous to turn hearts back to him. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that more in a second. To turn hearts back to uh, listening to this witness, this one from above. Just keep, keep that in mind, though, because there's more here that John goes on to say in verse 35. Or the, verse 34, uh, you see in uh, verse 34 he goes on, The one whom God has sent speaks the word, words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limits. And uh, sort of at play here just briefly is, uh, the images of, or the people in, uh, of the Old Testament called the prophets, these people who would come to the people of God. And in the Old Testament, God would uh, give them a portion of his spirit, his own personal sort of presence and his word to them, his own power in their life to, to pass on his word to the people. He'd give them a, a measure, a portion of his spirit like that. But do you notice what, go, what is going on here? Jesus we are told, has received the Spirit without limits. He's not just another voice passing on. He is the one who actually speaks the very words of God because he himself is God. God the Son entered into his creation, the eternal word. He's not just another voice from the earth given as a temporary gift. He is the loved Son of the Father. What does he go on to say? Verse 35 The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. And again, I mean, John here is just reinforcing, repeating things he's already said. Right back at the start of John's Gospel, at the start of, uh, in chapter 1 there that we looked at. Uh, Jesus reveals God as Trinity, as three persons in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Three, uh, God is a loving union of three. The Father loving his Son in the joy and bond of the Spirit. Uh, and in verse 35, everything has, the Father has placed into the Son's hands. He is the Lord of all things. He is the loved Son over all things. Let's just, let's just finish off there before we draw some threads together. This one from above, he is from above. He testifies, he is the witness He is the loved son of the Father who is over all things. And lastly, he is the giver of eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. 
for God's wrath remains on them. We're going to return to that question that um, I sort of said we'll park for a second back there. No one, we heard, no one receives Jesus' testimony and yet there seems to be some space created for whoever does actually accept and receive his testimony. What is going on there? It is only by God's grace something that he has done to make this possible, to actually receive the testimony of the one who is from above to change our hearts so they accept him and trust him. That is what this book is all about. I mean, the whole thing, the, the whole book is all about that. The whole story of John is all about that, what Jesus did to make this unthinkable thing possible. And it culminates as we read on, and we'll, we'll get to in a fair while in John, but we'll talk about pretty basically every week here. The whole thing culminates in the death and the resurrection of this one who is from above, his death in our place to take the wrath that we rightly deserved, the wrath that we already have, uh, are under. Do you notice that? There is wrath that remains on those who reject this one from above. It's not as if at this point God flies off the handle. Uh, it's not like that, like we saw last week. We saw it last week. Uh, we are condemned already. God's wrath doesn't come on them at this point. God's wrath remains on them. The sentence of condemnation has been given, friends. God's wrath is already on humanity and remains on all who reject his Son. We said last week, uh, Jesus deals with reality. <laughs> okay? He deals with the world as it is. Not the world that perhaps we would imagine for ourselves. This is the reality of humanity in rebellion against God, justly and rightly, sitting under his condemnation. But friends, do you see the reality also of the wonder and glory and free, free gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you see that? We don't deserve anything other than God's wrath. But 36, the start of verse 36, whoever, whoever, wherever you're from, whatever background you're from, whatever, whoever you are, whoever believes in the Son has now already has eternal life, has release from this wrath, has freedom from their slavery to sin, has a new birth that we looked at last week, a new heart alive to God. It's such a powerful and in many ways a confronting word, isn't it, this last bit of chapter 3. Um, friends, we just, I just want to draw some threads together though to help us focus our minds and uh, see how this might kind of come home to us today. Uh, John the, the Baptist this time, moving back to John the Baptist, he stands out to us, doesn't he? He just stands out so much. He's so different from me uh, and maybe even from you. From, he's so different from the, the run-of-the-mill way that we operate in this world, isn't he? Our deep desire to increase self. 
I think for, perhaps for us, I mean, uh, perhaps for us this is even, this is encouraged, this, this kind of um, move towards inflating self. <laughs> it's a bit, I think it is encouraged by our culture. Uh, there's a few, you know, developments even in the last 10 years, 15 years, the, the rise of social media, um, in many ways, wonderful gifts and great ways to connect with other people. But it's also a great encourager of self-promotion, isn't it? A great encourager of everyone can now have their say on any topic at any time. <laughs> uh, and the more likes you get, the more followers you have, the more social media presence you have, the greater your influence is. You know, there's all, uh, if that's all sort of gobbledygook to you, just forget about it. But if, you know, you, perhaps you've um, experienced something of that. But friends, I mean, I think the, pro the problem isn't actually... I mean, I think it's encouraged by certain things in our culture, but the problem isn't with a particular technology or, or a time in history. The problem is universal. It's in our hearts. This problem, that's why John the Baptist stood out right back then and why he stands out now. John stands out so different. Uh, now, friends, before we sort of think about us, it, it, it is worth saying that this was John's particular response to Jesus. Okay? He had a particular ministry, and at this point he said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. So we've got to be careful of just jumping too quickly to ourselves. Uh, but uh, I think what John does here is he does show someone who has seen Jesus for who he is. Someone who's seen Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he forgets himself. <laughs> when he sees Jesus, he forgets himself. And friends... If that is what John did with his glimpse, I mean, he just had a glimpse, really, of who Jesus was. How much more should you and I, when we have seen the risen and exalted Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, when we have seen Jesus risen from the dead, how much more should we, how much more should we seek his increase? How much more should we say, he must increase, I must decrease? This is a great picture, it seems to me, of the Christian life, right? It's not a denial that you're an individual. You don't get sucked into some sort of amorphous group <laughs> where you lose all your personality. That's not what's going on here. Uh, it's losing yourself as your own Lord. It's decreasing as, with yourself as the one who's in the driving seat of your life. That's what decreasing to self means. And I think it's a great summary of the, the ongoing Christian life. Last week we looked at how to enter this kingdom, how to, uh, how to be, be born again through trusting in Christ. And now, it, this, now in John's Gospel he goes on to that. This is how you go on in the Christian life. Growing as a Christian means... Incre Jesus increasing and self decreasing, your desire to run life your own way decreasing. It, it's a bit like this balloon, right? You can't actually have Jesus increasing and you increasing at the same time. Um, Jesus is Lord and he will have no rivals. It doesn't make sense for him to have rivals. He's the good Lord, he's the one from above. He's the one from above. Well, I think this has so much to, that we just need to sit with and think about it, about our own life. One, um, one writer on this passage 
uh, he wrote, uh, for, and this is, I think, a really great sort of both an encouragement, a warning for people who are in churches. Uh, this writer says on this passage, those who seek to win the church to themselves rather than Christ uh, faithlessly violate the marriage which they ought to know. Those who seek to win the church to themselves rather than Christ faithlessly violate the marriage which they ought to know. They ought to know that Jesus is married, marrying his bride and that all the focus goes to him. Okay, friends, I just want to leave us with a few um, thoughts as we wrap things up. What does this look like then for us as those who perhaps increasingly see Jesus for who he is? What does this life of Jesus increasing and self-decreasing look like? A few thoughts to, um, uh, to go away with and ponder and reflect on. Uh, it looks like, first of all, it looks like receiving his witness. Not just receiving it begrudgingly, but receiving and longing for his testimony, his witness. He's the one from above. He's in the helicopter. He sees the whole picture. How do you know, friends, if you've received his testimony and certified that God is true? It's when you believe what he says, even when you don't like it. It's when you, you do what he says, even uh, when you can't see how it will help you. <laughs> you're, on, you're on the ground. He's up above. That's how you'll know if you have received his testimony. If we accept some of what he says but not what we don't like. We're not really receiving him, his testimony. We're just sort of believing what we already believe, which is what our heart tells us to believe, not the witness of the one from above. The bigger Jesus gets, friend, the more joyful we'll be to know his witness, the more longing we'll have to know it, because we'll know that he is the one from above. Uh, friends, that is, that's why just, it's just helpful to keep reminding ourselves. That's why we do things the way we do here at Trinity South Coast, we have a priority on hearing Jesus' word over and above speaking our own words to each other. That's why we read systematically as the sort of staple thing that we'll do together, systematically through the Bible. We'll, we occasionally do topical things, and some of those are coming up, but as the basic kind of diet for us, that's why we read systematically through books of the Bible. It's so that we can hear him his testimony from his word, not the opinion of some guy who's from the earth, but the voice of the one who is from above. That's why home groups are so central to our life together, where we don't just come on a Sunday to um, reflect on God's word, but we get together in the middle of the week, through the week we do our life together where we can soak ourselves in this testimony, in this word of the one who is from above we can soak ourselves in it, be transformed by it, have it sink deeply into us. That's also why Christians have made a habit of personal Bible reading. Uh, there's a bit of a resource out there if you want to kickstart a Bible reading habit. Um, Steve will mention it later. I mentioned it in the weekly email. Oh, and if you want to be on the weekly email, lots of good stuff in there. Um, give me your email address in one of those slips and I'll put you on. Uh, but if you want to kickstart your, a, a new Bible reading habit, that's why Christians, this is not a thing that we do begrudgingly because we feel we must. It's because this is the testimony of the one who is from above. The only testimony of the one who is from above. Receive it and long for it. 
That's the first thing. It's really two things, but you know what I mean. Along <laughs> for this testament of the one. Uh, secondly, friends, can I encourage us, and this is, I think, what a life of Jesus increasing looks like. Rejoice in and live for his increase. Receive his testimony. Long for his increase. Work for it. Rejoice when it happens. Uh, even when it means I decrease. That's so hard, isn't it? Uh, for all of us, it's a hard sort of warning for those of us in any kind of ministry leadership roles. Uh, even when it means his increase is happening elsewhere, we rejoice because we're not, we are not bringing friends, we're not bringing people to an, inst uh, an institution, we're not bringing people to Trinity South Coast, we're not bringing people to you and I, we're bringing... We, we, we long for people to see Jesus. And wherever people see him and receive his testimony, we rejoice. That's what Jesus increasing will do in my heart and your heart. Uh, it'll make us rejoice where he increases, even if it means our own decrease. This is, friends, the best antidote, I think, for the kind of envy and jealousy that happens all around the place, including in churches, but in families, in uh, the kind of rivalry... It, the, the, the antidote for that, friends, is here. It's to soak ourselves in the majesty of Jesus. To see how glorious he is. We're not about ourselves. We rejoice when other gospel churches bring people to Jesus. We rejoice when other people do that. We've got 30,000 people down here on the south coast the vast majority of whom God wrath remains on. If Jesus increases, friends, we rejoice. We rejoice. Receive his testimony. Rejoice in his increase and throw yourself into it. And lastly, and we've already kind of mentioned it, friends, I think what this does for us is it enables us to be at peace in our own decrease, we can be happy nobody is like John, you know. That's, that's fine because it's not about us, it's about him. The gospel frees us to have that kind of a life and it's a beautiful life, isn't it? It's is so attractive when you see it in someone. You know it's such a beautiful thing. It's, it's, it's so unattractive when you see the opposite in someone, right? In yourself, it's so unattractive. This is not... A, to say Jesus increases and self decreases... Friends, this is not something that is bad for you and you must just do. It is what you were designed for, what you were made for, what will lead you, what will lead you to the kind of joy that John had when he saw Christ. I'm going to leave it there. This is a beautiful picture of community of people, I think, and holds out a hope for us of uh, focusing on this increase of Jesus, rejoicing when he does, being at peace when we decrease because it's not about us. And we pray with me as we reflect on those things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of John the Baptist. Thank you for the way he had that glimpse of Jesus. And he so joyfully and willingly said, he must increase and I must decrease. Lord, give us that we have such a deeper and more glorious glimpse of who Jesus is. You tell us that uh, the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than John because of what we have seen. Uh, Lord, may we have this same selfless, Jesus-focused heart 
May you do that within us, we pray. May we increasingly receive his testimony, see, it for, see him for what he, who he is, rejoice and long for his increase. May be at peace about ourselves. Uh, Lord, may you work that great work within us, make us less self-focused. Uh, teach us, Lord, to entrust ourselves to, the, to him, uh, the one who is from above. We pray all these things uh, in his most glorious name. Amen.